Hi there, my name's Jack, and I love horrible movies. Each week on the Horrible Movie Podcast, producer Phil, a guest, and I talk about a horrible movie. We talk about the actors, directors, the budget, the box office, and like thereof. You also get silly songs, fake commercials, and too much fun to list on this promo. Available everywhere you get your podcast. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Welcome back, film fanatics, to oh. a brand new episode of Quality Check Podcast. I'm one of your hosts and stuntman, stuntman Daniel, joined by stuntman Drew. I love doing stunts. I do your stunts. You do my stunts. And I do your stunts. And that's just the way we work. We're always stunting around here, and it's one of those never-ending jobs, and we don't really get a lot of glory for it, but we're not asking for that. I am very excited to dive into the film that we're going to be covering on this episode. Listeners just wanted to say thank you for joining us. If this is your first time or your ninth time, just like with joining Quentin Tarantino in the theaters. Could be your last time. (laughs) I hope not. It's not your last time. But here on Quality Check, we're covering a new movie this time. And that movie is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to discuss not only that, but also all of Quentin Tarantino movies, including our top three favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. So this is how this episode will work. We'll jump into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Then we'll also throw a little QT Q&A your way. And also our favorite, our top three Quentin Tarantino movies. And then we'll have an update on our summer movie rankings and how and where, I guess I should say, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood falls on this list. But first... We've got something that we would like to give an update to that we haven't talked about in a while. The Summer Movie Fantasy Draft. That's something that, if you go back a few podcast episodes before this one, you'll end up finding an episode dedicated to the summer movie fantasy draft where stuntman Drew and I picked our six films that we were anticipating that would end up making the most at the box office. And I've got an update for you. Have you checked recently on this? I have not checked. I know I have a couple duds. (laughs) I know that you have a couple duds. Yeah. I'm actually, I've I've got to repick one as well because... My sixth film was Spies in Disguise, and that movie has been pushed all the way back to Christmas. And now I have to find a replacement, a stand-in, but guarantee that film will fall. So without really describing a whole lot about the rules of this draft, go back and listen to that episode to see how that works. But we have six films, and I'll do yours first, Drew, to see what you've got. You have Men in Black. Bad. (laughs) Lion King. Very good. Rocket Man, mm, not bad. Hobbs and Shaw, which will be coming out this weekend. I, I don't think that's going to do as great as I originally thought. Predictions, real quick, hot take predictions about just total what it's going to make domestic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say one seventy. I was going with one seventy-five, so pretty close for both of us. Yeah, 
You know, I at one point I thought that it was the first teaser and I said, this looks amazing. I don't think I'm going to see it when it opens <gasps> this weekend or Whoa. in theaters. Really? Yeah. Not interested at all? It's just I haven't been seeing a lot of movies in theaters lately. It's just not a lot of good stuff. And this, this is just one of those where it's like, do I want to spend 12 bucks on? Probably not. So that this film may end up suffering from what we've seen this summer with movies just not really picking up at the box office. Kind of a, a slump, if you will. It's not been good. What else did I have? Speaking of 175, that's exactly how much Us made at the box office. That was your fifth film and your last pick, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And I'll go through what each of these films made and your total, and then I'll do the films that I picked. So Men in Black, and these are also all updated. I got these today, so these numbers are hot. We've got Men in Black sitting at 79 million, Lion King. We should say two. Yeah. We picked six movies. Whichever gets the lowest amount is dropped. So we're mm-hmm. really only having five movies. True. So we'll get an update real quick on what is probably going to get dropped. So what would you say? Men in Black 70? 79. Ugh. That is your lowest. So that will get dropped. And that's for sure going to be a Hobbs and Shaw. What if Hobbs and Shaw made like 78? There's no way. It's going to do okay. <laughs> so Men in Black International, 79 million. Lion King, 351 million. Rocket Man, 95 million. Hobbs and Shaw, unknown. And Us, 175. Godzilla at 110. You have a grand total right now of $810 million. At one point, Rocket Man was the movie I would have bet anything was going to get dropped. Because we had to pick a drama. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would do well, but I did not think it would do better than Mibi. Yeah. Mibi is a disaster. Do you think he'll ever return to that movie? No, I asked you that on the last <laughs> podcast. There's no way. And they're they're already marketing the Blu-ray. And it just, it just stop. It's Save sad. Save your money. Just release it. You might make some money back if you just stop. They need to do like a uh, re-release of the original trilogy, and that'll make more money than Mibi. Anything could make more money than Mibi. <laughs> so you've got a 810 in the box office. Here are my picks right now. I've got Detective Pikachu, Toy Story 4, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Secret Life of Pets 2, It Chapter 2, and the sixth film that I picked that I will have to put in its place. Uh, the, the one I originally went with is Spies in Disguise. That's a Will Smith animated film that will be pushed back to Christmas. I've got my pick locked in. You've been for teasing this for weeks. I have no idea what it is. Teasing it, and I told you I might as well as not pick it because this one will be the one that's dropped. There's basically nothing else coming out this summer that will make a lot of money besides can, it too. Can I guess what it is? What's that? Um, scary Stories? Nope. What? I was close, but I'm expecting that movie to make around 40, maybe. That's not going to do very well. I have not seen any marketing really for that. And it comes out this week. Yeah. Or is it next week? No, I guess it's next week. Yeah, two weeks. So we've got two weeks. But that, yeah, I'm expecting like a 35, 40 at most. But it's another sequel. And it's an animated film. Angry Birds 2. Oh, when's that come out? <laughs> Apparently mid-August. <laughs> so we've got, I'm not even. What did the first one make? 
the first one actually made decent money. It was uh, around eighty million, and this one is, like I said, going to get dropped unless, I mean, Hollywood does that bad, which I don't anticipate. But we'll get into Hollywood. But I don't. I think Hollywood. I, you're going to be dropping that one. You think so? Yeah, for sure. Over Angry Birds too? Yes. I don't know. This movie's three hours long. It's going to sink like a stone next week. I really hope Hollywood can make it to 125. That's There's that's my goal. There's no way. I hope it won't top 80. Because. Well, we'll, well save that for the, we'll, we'll save that for the budget talk because there's, there's quite a bit going on with Hollywood that I like to dissect for uh, a few more minutes. But So here we go. From the top, Detective Pikachu made 143, Toy Story 4 currently 396, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 41, Secret Life of Pets 154, yet to be released, It Chapter 2, Angry Birds 2. It Chapter 2 could be my saving grace. You but have a heavy hitter with It. Yes, but that's you're lying. Like, that's like 300 mil. The first one made 350. And this is going to be. I think this is on par or better. See, that's what I'm wondering. Will it, be, will it beat Chapter 1? And I think that it could because we have the kids and the adults. And I think the adults are bringing a draw. The first film didn't have, and I don't know. I'm I'm expecting it to be just a little south of what the first it made. Two hours forty five minutes. Are you excited for that long Can't run wait. time? I love it. Woo. So you combine that with the first film, and we're look, looking at a five and a half hour it film altogether. So what is? Oh, we're gonna get a cut where it's all one movie. Mm-hmm. What is your total? Grand total. 734. So I am eight, 80 million below you right Because I'm thinking, well, I'm losing 79 million because of Mibby. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll end up just shy of 1 billion. Yeah. Because I th- honestly think Hobbs oh, I think you'll will get... be under 200. So I'm thinking around the 900 million from me. So I've calculated the numbers here. I, I ended up crunching the numbers because I'm a little nervous with you having Lion King in your pocket. Lion King. I forgot. Yeah, that's still going. Lion King will make. It's now sitting at 351. I anticipate that to go and make at least 525. That's my guess. Prediction locking it in about 525 range. So um, I'm anticipating that your final will be close to, yeah, right right at that uh, just north of 1 billion. Yeah, I'll top it. I forgot about Lion King still going strong. I'm I'm really worried about about my score though, and what will end up happening with that. But man, that'd be so sad if I have to drop Hollywood for Angry Birds too. But that's the only it thing. Doesn't matter if it makes more money. <laughs> You're losing Hollywood. <sighs> it's gonna make me cry. But that's the update on our summer movie fantasy draft. We'll have an episode, and we'll talk about that once we near the end of it. But want to give you an update. Let's not delay this any further and jump into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Miles, then. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order 
fried sauerkraut! Stuntman Drew, do you know the synopsis of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? How would how would you describe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as someone who doesn't know what it's about? I would say it's about a fading TV star and his stuntman who navigate a transitional period in 1969 Hollywood. Hmm. Does that sound okay? That's, I couldn't have said it better myself. Sprinkle in some uh, Charlie Manson, some Charlie Manson family. Some Sharon Tate. A young Sharon Tate. Roman Polanski. And uh, a pre-pervert Roman Polanski. Oh. And you got yourself Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, baby. This is the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino. It is the ninth film. <laughs> I, ha- I I just... All right, so right before we hit the record button, you said on all of QT's movies... I don't know if it's on everyone, but it is on several. It, for the most part, yeah. The beginning of the movie says the blank film by Quentin Tarantino. When... The marketing started for this movie, for Hollywood, and we saw the first trailer, and it said the ninth film. I know you had brought that up in a tweet about, do we need to know if this is the ninth film? I think this is him trying to push that agenda. Hey, I've got one more left, guys. Do you think it helped it drawing anyone to the box office? No, no one cares about that, I assure you. (laughs) I love it so much. Well, Quentin Tarantino, we will talk about a lot of his movies later on in this. But for Hollywood, this this entire cast is stacked. Let's start from the top. We've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Amelia Hirsch. Emile. Timothy Oliphant, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, Bruce Dern, Luke Perry, Damon Lewis, Lena Dunham, Michael Madsen, Scoot McNary, Clifton Collins Jr., Rumor Willis, and my boy, Clue Gerliger. I even put in a freaking pronunciation for that to get it right. Clue Gerliger. Did you know Scoot was in this? Yes. What? Yeah. I listened. Here's the thing. I listened to scoot on a podcast where he was talking about preparing for this you know he says that to prepare for all of his movies and all roles every single role he takes on he remembers all lines like he'll read it and he'll remember it could you like his lines he said all of them all lines could you imagine him remembering all lines for his role in this and he's in it for like there's no way there's no way it's impossible but I wanted to note Clue in this. Clue, he's uh, blink and you miss him. He appears in this film in a bookstore as the librarian or someone who's working there. Clue, I, I most uh, know him from its Return of the Living Dead. Love that movie. But he was a huge Western TV star back in the day and shows such as The Virginian and so on and so forth. That's where he got his start. So that's got to be Tarantino giving a nod to him and everyone else like him. Do you want to know another blinker blinker you'll miss? Who's that? Brad Pitt. So this movie was made for $90 million. Made 41 in the opening weekend. Here's a fun fact about the little production value attached to this. How much money do you think this movie needs to make worldwide to break even, just to break even? Because you're asking me, I'm going to go high. I'm going to say 200. Keep going. 250. North. 300. Nope. 400. Yes. 
Why? Apparently, according to the production cost, not only so the film itself cost 90 million, but with the marketing and then also here's the interesting thing, the back pay of this film. Leo signed on to take a little salary cut to make this film, but apparently in the back end he's supposed to make 40 around 45 million for this movie, which is hey, pulling he's pulling a Tom Hanks. That's what Tom Hanks did. Yeah. When he was in his prime. And so Leo's just making sure he's got his butt covered. Well, what would Mr. Pitt do? Springfield native Brad Pitt. That I don't know. But I do know that another, to kind of compare this, the movie Alita, that had to make 500 worldwide to break even. So imagine, like, that's a CGI-heavy film compared to this film. I'm not complaining. this, This won't do that. No, I don't think so. I hope Emil Hirsch got at least 10 mil. Just, Are you happy that Emil Hirsch is back in, um, in a big movie? I'm actually surprised there's not more controversy about that. I know you had mentioned him when we were talking, going through the cast, and this was like maybe two weeks ago. I, I'm indifferent about Hirsch, Mr. Hirsch. Have you seen Into the Wild? Yes. Masterpiece. I really like that film. Do you, do you have any thoughts on him? If you don't know what we're talking about, look it up. Google I don't now. entirely know if it was settled. I just know at some point, allegedly, he was drunk at a party and like choked out a female producer, movie producer. And I don't know what happened with that. Yeah, I haven't heard the latest. And he's kind of been AWOL for a little while due to that. But yeah, I, you're a huge Hirsch fan, right? I wouldn't say I'm I'm a huge one. I like him a lot. I like Speed Racer a lot. I still need to see that. I love Into the Wild. That's so cool. it was good to see him back, but then it is you're watching someone that has uh, allegedly done something really awful, and I guess people deserve second chance. I don't know. That's a whole can of worms that, worms that we can get into, but we're not going to. E. Hirsch. I don't know what's left of uh, of his uh, stardom, but this movie... I mean, he's only in this for... He's billed like fourth or something. And he's only in this for like three minutes, it seems. He's not memorable. Yeah. He's just there. That And we'll, we'll get into those memorable performances because I've got one that stands out, but... I do too. Overall, this is... This I'll is, say the person that... Well, no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> tease ahead to it. There, I was wondering how they'd work in all of these cast members in this movie, and they did it, and it sometimes felt kind of like a speeding train. Well, we know irrelevant. Tim Roth credited in the movie, but it, it it was cut. It says it was cut. I think Luke Perry's stuff is very small, and I kind of wondered if that was something that mm. could have been cut, but you know, you keep that in there because he recently passed away. And I also heard that... Michael Madsen's role was going to be cut, but in the very beginning, I was surprised. I'm like, well, there he is. How you gotta have Madsen? Yeah, it's 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 not a QT movie without Madsen. It's fun to watch to go back because we ranked all these movies and to see Madsen in Reservoir Dogs because I think of him as kind of this grizzled man, and he's in Hateful Eight. I don't think he looks bad. He's definitely older and he's put on some weight. And he's very, actually very handsome man in Reservoir Dogs. Good looking yeah, chap. I would say so too. You know, he always remind me of Mickey Rourke or Rook. Um, he had like that face. He, he looked a lot like Mickey. 
and kind of like the build. He reminded me of Michael Madsen. There's no one like Madsen. You ready to jump into overall thoughts on Hollywood? Yeah. What do, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? All right. So heads up. This is major spoiler territory. Also, you know, if violence isn't your thing. We may end up talking about that. I know I've got uh, some notes on that and especially in our questions. Let's start off with best thing. What do you like? I was going to ask you, a lot of times we will do something like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is blank. Do you, do you have something off the top of your head that you want to say? Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's love letter to L.A. I was just going to say it's a, it's a masterpiece. <sighs> I've been wondering if this is your favorite QT movie. And Short I think answer it is. is it's a masterpiece. Long answer it's frequently self-indulgent, but like you said, it is a love letter to the movies and the entertainment that made QT who QT is. I gotta say, there's you know, this is obviously something that he gives ode to the films and shows that inspired him, but so much of it felt like him loving all over LA. Yeah, this is this is everything he's he grew up loving on screen. Is that the best thing you think about this movie? No. What is? What do you think is the best thing? My favorite thing, the best thing overall, it has to be how he incorporates all of these characters into one giant web. And it's fun. Is that the Pulp Fiction apps? He said this is his most, uh, his work that is the most, I guess, connected to Pulp Fiction that he's done since Pulp Fiction, where it's a huge story weaving in and out with characters. Yeah, I would think so. I think plot-wise, it is not. It's very, there's not a lot of moving parts plot-wise, but yeah. it is a narrative that everything is intertwined and connected. Yeah, this is not a complex, in-depth film. And I was going to say not interwoven, but it is with all of these minor characters and how they interact with our main characters, with Leo and Brad, um, who end up playing uh, Rick Dalton and Cliff, Cliff Booth, respectively. Uh, we've got a little bit of Sharon Tate in there. She's not in it a whole lot. She and QT would disagree. She feels like just a small piece of this machine. And I don't want to say, I feel like saying that she's an afterthought is wrong. She leaves no impression. You, Other than it's, I really think it's cute to see Margot Robbie dancing to music. <laughs> I. It's interesting because... While watching the movie, I did not have anything really bad to say or think about for her character, but she is kind of there, and I think it's, I don't know, it's very interesting, and I still have thoughts that I'm wrangling right now on how I feel about her, but... I think it's interesting. I think she parallels Sharon Tate in real life, who, in this movie, we see um, Tate having to basically identify herself even though she's in the movies like people don't believe that she's in these movies and that is kind of who Robbie is in this movie where she doesn't leave a huge impression yet somehow she really does I think a lot of the imagery in this movie is memorable and it's her in the theater watching herself or her dancing in her house mm -hmm. she's in a lot of this iconic imagery from this movie that I guess it's not iconic yet but um, really memorable um some of the stuff that you see. Speaking of how this movie is shot, is that your favorite thing? No, my favorite thing is the bromance. 
That's that's good. I think the testament I can say to any piece of pop culture in TV or movies is when the credits roll at the end, do I want to continue watching it? Do I miss these characters? And even though I spent two hours and 45 minutes with all you know these characters in this movie, I wanted more. And that's the best thing I can say about this movie is the Brad Pitt-Leo relationship in this movie is incredible. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and then, yeah, this movie looks incredible. I think this might be his slickest looking movie. In terms of especially the way he sets up the scenes and the imagery, oh, yeah. And I, I just think- want to watch Brad Pitt drive around L.A. <laughs> Those are the him weaving in and out of traffic and going up and down the hills of Laurel Canyon or wherever they were at. Or it's so good. I love hearing the actors and actresses also talk about how he would, you know, shutting down streets and Hollywood Boulevard and the interstate, wherever they were going, and just watching Brad Pitt drive around. That's it. That was the shot, more or less. It's not – it's a great-looking movie, but it's not done, I don't think, in a flashy way. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think it's it's very reminiscent of – I would say early filmmaking of, or maybe of that era. And it's not like we don't have a lot of the snap zooms and things like that, that QT is known for whenever there's action or something that is boiling to a violent scene or transition. But I was okay with that. Overall though, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun and just lightheartedness to this that is unlike any QT movie that we've seen. And it's the slice of life that I think QT has not really done before. You can argue that he did that with Pulp Fiction, but all of that was self-contained stories that all connect to each other and the grand scheme. And there is a story just told non-linearly, but this is very much so like a Richard Linklater film. Yeah, slice of life I think is the right word because we're basically following... Two characters do what could be mundane things, but it's very entertaining to watch. And then obviously QT leads everything into mayhem by the end of this movie. And the mayhem did not... I think this movie surprised me in a lot of ways. One, because he's so interested in playing with genres. What genre of film is this? Because it's very much a comedy. Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever strays away from that even when it gets serious. Yeah, I would I would honestly say that this is a comedy. Um I not even a drama. I mean, we've got elements of this crime and mystery that is interwoven at the very end, but that's really it. We had seen it described as I, I believe just a buddy comedy, and I think that's what it is. And that kind of worried you before going in, right? It concerned me because we're um, teasing this Manson story that by the end of it, we know, one, we know what happens in real life, which is the Manson family killing Sharon Tate and I think three others. Mm-hmm. So we know it's heading toward that direction, but we know QT is going to spin it and alter history like he did with Inglorious Bastards. In this situation, I thought it would flip from buddy comedy to like a home invasion thriller. And when it turns into that home invasion thriller, it's still very funny. Oh, Yeah. The stakes somehow feel relevant, yet very silly. And during the whole chaos of the last 10 or 15 minutes of those Manson murders when it's flipped, uh, the audience I was with was losing their minds in a Mm -hmm. good way. 
clapping and laughing. And it was, it's it completely not at all what I expected. That's the same for my theater. And for the most part, they were very silent for almost the entire film. There were a few laughs, but the ending had a lot of people almost to a standing ovation in terms of just like excited for this violence. Because I think everyone's waiting for that. You know that Tarantino brings this heightened sense of stylized violence to every single thing that he does. And you're like, all right, when is it going to happen? It's going to happen. When is it going to happen? And almost it, to the, for the most part, doesn't. Although you end up having this and it's done in this very non-Tarantino way, but it's him doing it. it it's just so interesting. There is one moment where the levity lifted for me and I had actual anxiety. Mm. And it's when Brad Pitt is taken to mm-hmm. the Manson family um, compound, whatever. Wh- the Spawn Film Ranch. Yeah, the Spawn Film Ranch. And he's looking for the owner of this ranch and it's very tense and it's very drawn out. And prior to this movie coming out, when it was released at Cannes, Tarantino warned people, do not spoil this movie for anybody. So having that in my head, watching that, I thought Brad Pitt, I would have, oh, I thought he was going to die. I did too. I thought that was going to be the big twist as he dies and there's still an hour left. That doesn't happen, but it gave me anxiety. Like mm-hmm. actual, I, <laughs> I was like freaking out watching this. I was like, I, I need a, I need a mental, I need to mentally relax. I, what I needed was that acid dip cigarette. Oh, see, I ended up smoking that right before going in, and whenever I saw this, I thought I was watching Spidey Far From Home. Do you like that the cigarette was basically the smoking gun? It's like you introduce a gun <laughs> that has to go off at some point. Yeah. It's so great. I, I love that he has it and he's like, I'm saving you. And then they just keep it. And I knew that would end up being part of this final sequence. It had to be a part of this moment of violence because it's just, you know, foreshadowed. And it's just as soon as he put it in that little cartridge and he put the lid on it, I thought, okay, we're, we're saving this for later. He's telling Rick, don't just don't smoke that cigarette. I'm saving that. <laughs> and then, of course, he has that amazing dog, Brandy. Oh, yeah. Love the dog. And I was worried the dog was going to die. And I was like, please <laughs> don't kill the dog. I got to say this stuff with the dog, some of my favorite stuff in this movie Anything with Brad Pitt in this movie is amazing. Would you say this is your favorite Brad Pitt film? Or let me back up. Favorite Brad Pitt character? Ah, I'd have to watch it again. This seems like they just filmed Brad Pitt. (laughs) This seems like what he would be like. Minus the whole did he murder his wife (laughs) scenario that is kind of, uh, we'll we'll kind of get to that in a moment. Um, Another thing I really loved, and we don't need to get into it, but the the music, it goes hand in hand Mm. with what we're watching. And it's all perfectly put together. Those needle drops. Good needle drops. Would you say QT is the master of needle drops? No, because I really don't feel like (laughs) I notice that in his movies a lot. This one's very noticeable, but not in a bad way. So there's an interview, and it's a two-part interview, and it's on El Rey Network. That's the Robert Rodriguez Network uh, channel. Robbie R. He and QT are huge, big fans like fans of each other, but friends. And of course they worked on the Grindhouse collection together. Uh, That's Death Proof, Quentin Tarantino's movie, and then Roberts is Planet Terror. Well, 
in this two-part interview, Robert sits QT down and interviews him. One of the best interviews I've heard with Tarantino because he opens up about a lot of things. And I love whenever he's going into a lot of his films and, and uh, describing this. But uh, my point is a lot of how he works in his characters and like what he did with Pitt and everyone else, he goes into detail on, on some of those specifics and I love. So just a heads up if you want to read more about that or listen. Right. I don't I don't think we're going to get into this later. And I was wondering which performance did you think was better, DiCaprio or Pitt? Maybe oh, not man. which one do you like better. See, DiCaprio is acting in this. Yeah. Pitt, he's just got that natural charisma to him and that fun. He's just a, seems like a fun guy. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly who Cliff is in this. Oh, I don't know. Pitt's good in this, though. I, at first, walking out of the theater said, it's got to be Brad Pitt. But I think I love his character yeah, more than DiCaprio. Really good. And But acting-wise, DiCaprio is better. But both of them together is a dynamic duo that we haven't seen in a while. We've never seen. And there's something. You just mean duo-wise? Duo, Yeah. And, yeah, and just in terms of like this team up and there, I will talk about that more because I love on that just as much as what you're saying. DiCaprio does so many things in this that I didn't expect where there, he has almost like a tick mm-hmm. that he struggles. And he's not and really struggles. Stutter. He, yeah. Stutter throughout the movie. And he kind of blew me away with, he's always good, but he's really good in this. I did not know about that stutter until they released a small scene, and that's whenever stuntman Randy, played by Kurt Russell, talks to him, and that is a clip that I think dropped a week ago. and Heavily edited. He- yeah, and it was very weird. I felt like that entire sequence kind of, it played out just as, you know, the same in the movie as whenever it was dropped online, but it, it just seems so strange why it was edited that way. But regardless, it's uh, something that in that, that's whenever I found out he had it, the tick and then the stutter. I was really surprised by that. was not expecting that, but DiCaprio killed it. Okay, let's move on to worst thing. What's the least favorite thing about this movie for you? I mentioned that it's very self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. If you do not like QT... This might push you over the edge. There's a lot of times when we're watching DiCaprio act and we're watching um, him act in the movie, not he's he's mm-hmm. uh, in a Western or something. And we have these extended takes of the TV show that he's in or the movie. And those drag. For gonna, you, those were dragging? Not, maybe not necessarily for me. I could see somebody being... He's slowly becoming irate, going, let's let's pick up the actual story. Why are we spending time on this? I think that's the biggest issue I have in this movie is QT um, has his head really far shoved up his own butt. <laughs> I think... I reject that hypothesis. And I think him <laughs> saying... I think the marketing with How Every Movie is The Blank by Quentin Tarantino, it goes hand in hand with he thinks he's the smartest man probably on the planet. <laughs> And he's talented, but it also comes across as um, kind of obnoxious. Mm. I think that bleeds through a little bit in this. I didn't have a huge issue with it. I like the two-hour and 45-minute runtime. But this is very self-indulgent Quentin Tarantino. The worst thing for me is that it dragged a bit. That's what I have in my notes. And I, in the 
honestly, I did not have a problem with that. The scenes that you're describing did not have a problem. I love that, especially whenever he's sitting there opposite of Tim Timothy Oliphant. I love that. That was one of my favorites. And then whenever he's talking to Trudy, the yeah, little girl. So good. Fantastic. I love that. All of that. And a lot of those, whenever he's like exploring the character, I really liked. I It's just something about the overall pacing and thinking back, though, I think you watch this again, it's not going to have that issue. I agree, because th that's the one thing thinking and, and um, kind of recreating a lot of those scenes in my mind and what I liked about it. Time is not an issue, but this if this is the worst thing I have to say about the film, you know, it's a good movie to me. I like it. And well, sometimes we're spending so much time with DiCaprio that 15 minutes have gone by. And then we go to Sharon Tate and we don't see Brad Pitt for 20 mm -hmm. minutes. That could be an issue. But it also goes well, I think, with we spend all this time with these people and by the end of it, you want more. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think it's effective. What's your movie MVP? I think it's Tarantino because he's put together something pretty – I think that's both a lot of fun and um, is emotional in a way that I didn't expect – I kind of wondered how much DiCaprio channeled when he played Rick, mm. how much of himself he is of this character, of struggling, wondering what, like who, what kind of actor you're going to be when you get older. And I don't know. I think, I think it's funny that by the end of this movie, uh, he was basically had all these murders in his home and he's invited in, in, into the social club of mm. Sharon Tate. And that's, the crazy night that you just had is basically a race because you've kind of are entering a, a territory that you've been wanting. And I, I'm going to take that as kind of a diving point to get into a theme that I really liked. And that's really what Tarantino leaves us, sends us home with after this film ends. And it's this idea of old Hollywood or the old actors, or someone who's inspired the next generation, the this new group, the new the kids on the block, more or less, they're inviting them into their home, saying, we welcome you. We've been inspired by you. We've loved your work. And come in. Like, we can collaborate. We can work together. There's no need to keep us out, and you have to stay on that side of the gate. And that theme was very interesting, and that's kind of what's leading up in this film. And kind of, that's why I'm okay with Tate being in it sporadically because we see her almost like a paparazzi figure who witnesses a celebrity. We're dropping in and out of their lives and seeing her during these snapshots. And then toward the end, it's like, okay, well now we can go and see more of her. And I don't think there will ever be a sequel, but it sets it up in this nice theme of, hey, now they both can work together. And I really like that aspect. And, and Tarantino did a really great job bringing that together and driving that home, I feel. My MVP has to be piggybacking off of what you really liked about this. And it's the team up with Leo and Brad. Hands down, the best thing I think I've seen in a movie for a team up with two guys or just the two leads coming together. Because if you think about it, they complete each other. One guy's a soft-spoken guy. The cool guy just hangs back. 
then Leo's the guy who ends up blowing up or, you know, having these tantrums and he needs to have like this levelness. And it was just so cool to explore them both. And it's almost like separately, they wouldn't be as good, but together they're dynamite. And I loved it. It was fantastic. And I think if you work both of them together, it's the most complex character unit Quentin Tarantino has made to date. Like mm. if you end up merging the two hitmen from Pulp Fiction or you end up taking other characters from QT's filmography, there's something, and, and this may be this whole honeymoon phase that I'm on right now, but I think Cliff and Rick together, it's the most well-rounded complex you know, two characters or team up in all, all of his films. Hmm. I might a, disagree with that one. You have a better. I don't want to say because it's. Uh, we'll get to. Ooh, okay. I don't disagree though. I would seriously love a spinoff with these two. <laughs> I want to know where they go next. Or Cl- what if we get a prequel with uh, Cliff Booth and he's de-aged? <laughs> Just give me uh, give me a, a spinoff of Cliff and Brandy. What if they de-aged Cliff and he was on the boat with his wife and he looked like Benjamin Button? Would that have made it better? <laughs> Like an old man or a baby? Yeah, he was like a young, he's young, but looked as an old man. What if? I don't know. <laughs> so YouTube moment. This is a scene that will be talked about or viewed rather on YouTube years down the road. What's yours? Do you have one that stands out? Yeah, Cliff, Cliff is on acid and the Manson family comes to kill him. And it's just pure pandemonium for what, 10 minutes? I have to say I love the buildup where Leo's just riffing on these hippies. The entire movie, I can't stand these guys. And, and I just, thought he was going to get his bl- like his brains blown out right there too. <laughs> I, I love that so much. He goes out with his blender and he's drinking the margarita. <laughs> it is crazy to me though that going into this movie, I would have bet that one or both mm-hmm. of them would have died. I was expecting that too. And literally nobody that we watch – other than the Manson people die. I think that's why the audience is so jubilant by the end of this. It's like the bad guys die. It is a very happy, uplifting moment or ending for QT. Now, I, I will say a lot of people after it's ended, they're like, well, you know, you still have Charlie out there on the loose and others who are still going to commit these murders. But Ain't coming after them anymore, though. No, not, not Cliff and his crew. My, I have to say... YouTube moment is the Bruce Lee fight sequence. Do you think that made Bruce Lee look bad? Here's the thing. Because he's supposed to be this god. Mm-hmm. And he gets worked. He, I, I, a lot of, I've heard a lot of complaints about him being cocky. And it's I feel Bruce like. Bruce Lee. Well, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. a legend. I, I feel like that is kind of well known that he was, you know, a little bit like that. But. With him getting thrown into the car, I, I really wonder if a lot of people are going to get mad about that. Because I don't know much about Bruce Lee, but this is not how I envision Bruce Lee. <laughs> um, going for a kick and then getting slammed into a car. I can't imagine that. Yeah, that's. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch, but I really wonder what the Lee estate has to say about that. That's a great scene, though. I love, I think the guy's name is Mike Moe. Mm-hmm. who played Bruce Lee, and he is insanely good. 
He was, he originally was out in LA, left to go to Michigan, Michigan to take care of his family, got called by QT and said, hey, I want you in this film, flew out to LA to shoot this. He lives, I think he lives in, I thought it was Wisconsin. Maybe, okay, maybe it is Wisconsin. He has a martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, a dojo. Dojo in Wisconsin or wherever. And that's how he makes a living. But he's also appeared in other, you know, TV shows and movies. He's beaten up on poor Cliff Booth. Not really. Cliff owns him. So final grade. A. Woo! It's a freaking masterpiece. I, before talking, I originally had B+. Whoa. But as I talk about this more and more and more, I'm, I'm bumping it to an A-. minus. It's just fun. Yeah. It's fun in a way no other QT movie has been. I didn't think about it a lot after watching it, but now like three or four days later, I'm thinking about it a lot, and I like talking about it. That's the other thing. I. It's been almost a week since I've seen it. I think we saw it the same night. Mm-hmm. I, I have rewatched the trailer like five times. I can't wait till this comes out. I want to watch it every night. I wonder if QT. Well, I wonder. You know, QT was saying that he wants to expand it well over three hours. I wonder if he's going to release that, and there will be the director's cut. He hasn't really done that, though. Yeah, I'm surprised. But it's not his thing. I don't think the unabridged version of QT and the abridged version. I don't know. Maybe we'll get that on DVD and Blu-ray. Let's let's move on to. QTQs. We've got 10 questions fitting since Tarantino says he's only doing 10 films. Only 10. Not buying it. So we've only got 10 questions for you. Not buying it, folks. But do you buy that we have 10 questions? I don't know. I might have more. Why don't you start us off? Question numero one. What's the most surprising thing about Hollywood? We kind of talked about this, and mine is just how light and breezy it is even when it gets serious. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that would be a bad thing. And I don't think it is. I was worried, like you said, before going in. But after, no, not at all. I'll just say it's just how different this movie really is compared to the rest of Tarantino's filmography. Just wildly different. The second question, and it's a twofer already. Is Cliff Booth a good guy? And did he kill his wife? You know, I'm going to say he did not kill his wife. Oh. I like the idea that they're playing with the legends of Hollywood. Did this actor stick a gerbil in his butt? <laughs> Question mark. And it lives for decades and decades. And we still make jokes about it. And people still think that's real. Not Cliff Booth. Someone else. So I like that it plays on the idea of the legends that circulate. Is Cliff a good guy? I, the the relationship he has with Pussy in this movie <laughs> is interesting because she, at one point, he picks up this. That's the character's name. Right, right. <laughs> I, yeah. I guess I should clarify. <laughs> uh, he picks up this young girl. She's she's part of the Manson family. He doesn't know that. But he's given her right up to the uh, Spawn Ranch. And she offers to give him a sexual act and his question is are you 18 it's not whether or not he should do it or take advantage of this person it's are you of legal age he doesn't want to get in trouble show me your id 
those are just little things that they do with Cliff to make him where you kind of question his morality a little bit. I don't think he killed his wife. I'm just going, that's my official answer. And I think Cliff is, he's just a dude. And sometimes he's like maybe horny, but he knows he doesn't want to get in trouble. And, but I, he loves his dog and he loves Rick. I think he's a good guy. I've got two short answers for you. Yes and yes. You think he killed his wife, but is a good guy? Sure. I mean, his wife sucked. He's, it's a complex character. <laughs> if the flashback that we get of his wife is accurate, she she deserved to go overboard. That's I mean, he was starting to chug beers like Moondog and the Beach Bum. And he realized, I don't want to get a beer gut like he had. So either she goes or the belly goes. Can we do just a side question? This won't count as one of our 10. What's that? We'll call it 2A. Um, rate, let's rate Cliff. Well, maybe out of five. So five is just like steaming hot. Okay. And one is, maybe we'll say like John Candy's body. Oh. (laughs) What do you think about Cliff Booth, uh, his bod? Either Uh, between John Candy at one mm -hmm. or five just sizzling hot. I'd say 5.5. Woo! Put him on the grill, baby. All right, question number three. What do you think? I'll I mean, he's like because 56, of his age. Right? Yeah, because of his age. I'm going to say four. Yeah, I mean, if I look like you know that at 56, lo- good grief. You know what I loved, too, is he's he's a stuntman. He's got all these awesome scars on his body. Mm-hmm. That That's was my cool. favorite part. I like that. Uh, question number three. Burt Reynolds was originally supposed to play George Spahn, but the role went to Bruce Dern because Burt died. Uh, same age, too. Well, would you have liked, it would have been. Uh, would you have liked to have seen Reynolds play this part? Nah, I don't think so either. I like Dern. I don't know if Bird is a good actor. Uh, you know, he, I think, gives that old school Hollywood vibe to things, but yeah, I, li- I like Bruce. Plus, he looks more like George Spawn in real life. Bruce is just good. And he's been in the... This is the third QT movie, consecutive QT movies that he's been in. He's like his little lucky charm. Oh, I was hoping he's that like that guy me. that's in all the Pixar movies. What's his yeah. name? The guy from Cheers? Yeah. Uh, I forget his, his name, but that's true. Drunky McDrunkster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name. He should have been in Hollywood. Which side story? Wait, no, no, no. You didn't answer. You... Yeah, I did. I said okay, Bruce yeah, Dern. Dern. That's right. Is he related to Laura Dern, by the way? Yeah. Is that her, her father? They're married. <laughs> <laughs> They're lovers. So, question number four. Are, are they related? I yeah, they're they're related. I but hold it, on. I think it's her dad. It's. I feel like that's the case. But let me let me look this up right now because or I asked, grandpa. No, nah, she's too old for that, right? No. So she, the daughter, have, the daughter of Bruce Derns okay. and Diane Ladd. He. He's, he kind of scares me in this movie because I always think he's going to go on a racist rant. <laughs> Just like Hateful Eight. Uh, do, will grief. we be talking about that later too, by the way? A little um, bit? Maybe. Okay. We'll save I that. I saw it for the first time a couple days ago. It's seared into my mind. <laughs> in a good way. It's I, gotten a lot better in the, in, since I watched it a couple days ago. Like I, It's one of my favorites, QT movies. I 
was really happy I went on YouTube because the scenes of Kurt Russell just yelling horse crap was stuck in my mind because he says it like eight times in the movie. It's hard to watch. With the violence against... Uh, the language... The- I mean, this somehow made me feel more uncomfortable than Django with the use of the N-word. Yeah. And then just how Jennifer Jason Lee is treated. I actually think that's that's a grimy little movie. I think that's the... I think from just ease of watch, that is the hardest to sit through. It's I would say, as you said, the grimiest QT it's movie. It's just a sick little movie. It's tough. It was, it was more of a horror movie than I expected, too. I really liked it, so... I uh, went on a date to see that movie. (laughs) Not a good date movie. Uh, No, luckily she... she That's like the time I saw Django Unchained and I sat next to a black couple. Yeah, well, that's like me too. And was sinking in my chair as it went on for three hours. Yeah. I uh, At least she liked that movie for Hateful Eight. So I guess that was a good thing. Did you go on a second date? Well, technically it was, uh, went to Kansas City to see it because that's on the projector. Mm-hmm. So there was like, technically it wasn't like a date date, uh, you know, just two people. Because it was a, a carpool situation and ended up riding up. But it was just her and I sitting together. And, but that was cool to see because there's the intermission and they treated it like, you know, a throwback film. But that was cool to see in 70 millimeter. Next question, which side story slash subplot was your favorite in Hollywood? I'm cheating a little bit. Okay. If Rick Dalton, a.k.a. Leo, is our main character, I think Brad Pitt's whole thing is a side story. Yeah. And, and then it bleeds into the main story. So I got to say that anything with Brad Pitt. You know, I'm pretty close to that. Um, and I, I think that counts. That works. Because you get so much. You get the Manson stuff. You get mm-hmm. the Bruce Lee scene. Just him doing yard work, I love. I loved him on the roof. Just, Repairing he just knows how to do all this stuff. <laughs> I love it. Mine has to be, going back to him repairing the antenna on top of the house, is the stuntman Randy flashback scene. Because at first, I thought that Cliff was on the house and he wanted to be the stuntman on Randy's crew. So he rushed back to the set to try to confront him about getting on this, uh, the Green Hornet show. Well, turns out Randy is working on the show and this is just a flashback of Cliff trying to join them. And I love from the start to the end of him just thinking of what Rick told him and then him flashing back to being on the roof and he's like, hmm, that seems about right. And I love the just everything in that with Bruce Lee and then also uh, Randy arguing with his wife Zoe Bell. That was a lot of fun. Kurt's funny in this. He, I, I really liked it, and especially whenever that bit went on, but I was so happy. I almost stood up and cheered whenever I heard that soothing voice of Kurt Russell as the narrator. Question 4A. Okay. Yes or no, could have used more Kurt? Absolutely. It's always yes. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a good guy. Uh, question five, which minor character was your favorite? I am so tempted to say Bruce Lee. He's mine. But I'm not gonna. It's going to be Bruce Dern. No, I'm going to say somebody that you didn't mention in the cast list. Her name is uh, Margaret... Uh, Quali? Mm-hmm. She's That's from right. The Leftovers. That's how I recognize her. She plays pussy in this movie. She is a firecracker. Love her. Anytime she's on screen, 
and it's mainly just with Brad Pitt or the Manson fam. She's stealing the show. Loved her. She was on Jimmy Kimmel. She's a little shy on that. I was very surprised because she's in the not movie, shy she's in not... this movie. No, no. She's, she's a lot different than how she was in the Leftovers too, where basically no one on that show ever smiles, Ooh. and they're all really sad. You know, she grew out her armpit hair. She said that she did. I noticed it in the movie, and woo boy. <laughs> She said it didn't take long, but she waxed right after that, and uh, she said that hurt. Did she say that in a way it was kind of freeing to do that? No, she didn't really go into detail. She just said, I was glad to be done with that. Mm-hmm. It's either you're either, wow, this is kind of fun and liberating, or I hate this. Yeah, she she was very kind of short about it, but she would say, yeah, I was I was ready. She's, she's the minor character MVP. Here's a three firm. So this is question six. Hit me. Tarantino is known for talky dialogue, and Tarantino-esque is an actual word in Webster's Dictionary. Go check it out. I didn't know that. Really? No, I I, I really didn't. That's Yeah, so I won't describe what it is. That's probably why he's got his head show shoved in his butt so far because of that. Tarantino-esque, it's a real word. My question, three firm, are you a fan of QT's talky dialogue or not? What's your favorite quotable phrase from his movies? And what's your favorite thing about Quentin Tarantino movies? Kind of lumping in the Tarantino-esque into this. I mean, obviously we're a fan. Mm-hmm. So yes, um, quotable phrase. I don't know, probably anything Brad Pitt says in, in Inglorious Bastards. But I got a word of warning for all you would-be warriors. When you join my command, you take on Debit. A Debit you owe me, personally. Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps, and I want my scalps. And all y'all will get me 100 Nazi scalps, taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis, or you will die trying. What's my favorite thing about QT movies? I don't know. I kind of like that he just always has a lot of characters that somehow weave in and out. That's good. I always find that interesting. He did it in a way that I was worried this film would be a lot like Pulp Fiction and so glad it wasn't at all. Was it, were you kind of ticked there was no gimp? A little bit, yeah. I was really hoping we'd get uh, the origin story for him in this. I was hoping it was going to be Al Pacino. I always forget Al Pacino's in this movie, by the way. We never saw saw what the gimp looks like, so it could be Pacino, you know? It's a very old Pacino in a gimp suit. You never know. Maybe those guys were failed actors, and they were just mad their agent sailed them wrong and just decided to put them in love there and in a basement. You never know. My my answer is yes. My favorite quote. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? Then I have to say I love the way QT shoots action scenes. It's kinetic. It's crazy. And he just makes it a lot of fun. Question number seven. Ready. Which is your favorite QT character and Why? This goes back to you talk about the dynamic duos that Quentin Tarantino can do. I didn't want to say mine because my favorite character is Max Cherry from Jackie Brown, played mm. by Robert Forster. And I think him and Pam Greer as Jackie Brown are incredible. Oh, it's the yeah. only time we get a QT love story. That is the – not going to say what I'm going to want to say, but he's my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> he, he pops up later in Breaking Bad. Very small role. But I love anyone who describes him and say, oh, you know, the Jackie Brown guy. I love that's what he's known for. 
that's good. My favorite character, the bride, and why? She's just a badass. I just love. She rules, man. I I honestly love the bride. She's one of my favorite characters of modern cinema. I'm going. I'm not going to say the favorite, but I would say probably top five. I need Uma and another QT. Oh man, I love Uma. And he's already hinting at Kill Bill Volume Three. Have you seen what she looks? First of all, didn't know his. Du- Stranger Things season three, we meet, um, or i never seen her before, but it's uh, a young girl that, I don't know, she's in this movie. Do you, do you know who her daughter is? That's not Uma's, is it? So Uma's daughter in this movie is the one that's she's going to the house to kill them, and she's like, hey, I left my knife in the car. Oh, really? And she's in Stranger Things. That's Ethan Hawke's and uh, Uma Thurman's daughter. What? Had no idea. I think I'd... her name is Maya Hawk. Okay. So I watched all the Stranger Things, had no idea that this is who she was. And now every time I see her, I'm like, yeah, it looks just like Uma. <laughs> okay, Mal, it makes total sense. I had no idea, but now it makes me, I was going to say, if you say that Uma's in Stranger Things season three, I'm going home and binging it. Well, Uma's not, her daughter's in. I know, but I was okay. saying that if you said that, I was going to just stop the recording and go home now. I mean, her kid's incredible in that season and... Is probably a fan favorite at this point. She's just in season three? Yeah. She's introduced huh. in season three. Weird. Okay. I now now I need to watch it. I'm just man, I'm in yeah, I'm in love with Uma. She's she's awesome. I saw a new picture, uh, not a new picture, but a, a recent picture of Uma still looks amazing. She's good. Yeah. And I mean she's I think for action too, she does such a great job. And Taren just overall working with Tarantino, I think she's great. Moving on, this is a good segue. There's criticism for Tarantino's writing style and depicting women and how he abuses them through the script itself and the ringer that he puts them through. How do you feel about it and his female characters? Honestly, this was something that was kind of tough for me when I first started watching Tarantino. And it seemed like it was just... I felt like unnecessary, but I also started... I guess with some of his earlier work where there were less female characters and then whenever Kill Bill and some of his more recent movies came out, there was a little less of that. But I think once you get to, like, say, Hateful Eight... It's tough and hateful. Yeah. That's hard to watch. And Hollywood, I think, is hard to watch, too, because of the Manson family... Um, Three of the or two of the three that go to kill them are females, and Brad Pitt decimates them. <laughs> it's, yeah, you. It's just like um, he's got to do what he's got to do to survive. It's still tough to watch <laughs> him bashing in their face. You'll never be able to look at a can of dog food the same again. I love that. Uh, so <laughs> I, I I really noticed it in the last two where it's 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 hard to watch. Uh, some of the other ones I understand a little more, but um, I don't know. He's the argument is that he would say is um, I I, I kind of wonder if he just writes stories and then he he doesn't necessarily think about the uh, gender of somebody. I think and so. And then it's just like, oh, I'm going to make this a female, and it doesn't register. Oh, this woman's getting beaten to a pulp. He's he's an impulsive writer, and I know listening to him talk about that but he makes tough female characters as well yeah and he's not shy other than reservoir dogs which 
it has, we'll just say none, no female characters. Um, a lot of times females are leading his movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He's a, he's a, it's, I don't know. I go back and forth on if it's good or bad. Yeah. Because there's, it's, it, I think also opens up an overall discussion of violence in his movies. And I think that's just his overall approach on violence. Like you said, it doesn't matter who it is. They're just going to get destroyed, most likely. Question number nine. Has any QT character ever gone on a rant about something that you also feel strongly about? Maybe the tip rant in Reservoir Dogs. I don't have an answer to this. I don't. I don't feel strongly about it. All but his the characters are maniacs. The, <laughs> the one that stands out to me is always the tip rant in Reservoir Dogs. Just because of what he says. Do I agree with that? And what he's describing, Mr. Pink? No, he's like a lunatic and he's He's just taking it too far. I understand what he's saying, but he's pushing it too far in his expectations. Like he's expecting six cups of coffee and that's like, I mean, a lot of caffeine. But, you know, I, like you said, there's, there's a little bit of, if someone, someone could be horrible to you as a, you know, serving you, but that's going to be represented, but not in what this guy's expecting. It's way too much. Final question, 10th question. Has there ever been a Quentin Tarantino movie you wanted to watch again immediately in theaters? It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ooh, is that it? Yeah, probably. The, for me to go immediately to it again, yes. It wasn't that way with me with this movie. It should be now, though. Honestly, talking about it, yeah, I really, I'm getting more and more excited about rewatching this movie. I did not see Kill Bill in theaters, but I probably would have felt that way if I saw that. There's never been a QT movie I felt that way about. Now, that's not saying a bad thing, though, because a lot of movies I really like, I spend a while thinking about it, and then I'm like, man, I that's a really good movie. Yeah, and yeah. Most movies, I can't just immediately start again. Yeah. Unless it's Spider-Man Homecoming or like Casino Royale. Or just two movies I watch a lot. Or Bond 25, soon to be. I'll watch that a thousand times in theaters. Oh. We're going to be doing one thing and one thing only. Are you ready to talk about our top three QT movies? It's the QT top three. Starting I'm, from the bottom. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you want me to go number three first? Sure. It's a little joint with Brad Pitt. Hollywood? Called Inglorious Bastards. Well, okay. I was I was waiting for you to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, wow. I'm expecting that to be your number one, though. You think Hollywood's going to be in my top three? Yeah. Oh, full disclosure, I want to say, whenever we rank stuff, I like to rewatch something so it's fresh. One movie will not be on this list because I was unable to watch it, and that's Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. And that, honestly, I think would be in the top three because I remember really liking it. Wasn't able to see it because we have lives. <laughs> so that's why it's not on um, probably in my top three. It might be in your top three. Disclosure. Well, I'm not going to say. I was, I was Disclosure. I didn't see six of the eight movies. I, I was going to say. Yeah, disclosure. It's uh, seven, of the, uh, seven of them I've not seen ever. And we're counting Kill Bill as one. Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as just one movie. One film as is QT. But if Volume 3 the comes out. The Whole Bloody out, Affair. As it's known. Is she? I should come, I hope, come out soon. That'd be great. That's already out. Oh, it is? All I don't out? know if it's here. I, could, I When I was um, 
rewatching these movies, I found it and uh, almost watched it, but uh, I don't think it's here in the U.S. yet. I've, I've wanted to watch it as it's a whole. It's floating on the internet, just uh, a heads yeah, up. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get that. The Because I saw The Godfather Saga on HBO, and that was fantastic. But I'll do that with The Whole Bloody Affair. Number three for me has to be Reservoir Dogs. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to say that's your least favorite QT movie. It is by far my least favorite. There is a reason why I like Reservoir Dogs. And returning to it, I thought this will probably tank. I like because it reminds me a lot of 70s movies that inspired QT, but also reminiscent of me that I also have a lot of respect for. There's a lot of vibes like John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13 in this film and his love for gangster films. And there's, in this film, it's such an indie film that I love the rawness to films like this. It's raw. I see potential. It's not one I want to watch a lot. I can't stand listening to Tim Roth squeal like Miss Piggy. Now that's rough. <laughs> I'm just like, end this scene already. Um, I find the opening very grating with Quentin Tarantino talking about like a virgin. It's just so pretentious to me. Easily my least favorite. And it's one I don't necessarily dislike, but uh, I don't like that one really. Yeah, I'm waiting for that to be your least favorite. Oh, it's officially. I'm locking it in. It's, oh. it's easily my least favorite. There's no okay. question. I'll just spill the beans right now. Okay, because I, I, I was waiting for that. I, I assume that would probably be the case. What's your number two? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow. Which maybe, again, like you said, I'm in the honeymoon phase. I don't think so. I just find this very enjoyable, very fun. And again, I, everything... All his movies, Reservoir I'm not a huge fan on. Death Proof I, I like, I don't love. So anything above that, all these other movies are in like great territory. I have to officially lock it in. It's my least favorite of his. Hollywood? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what did you just get done spending the last hour talking about? No, no, no. It's, uh, I'm interested to see what your least favorite is. I'm, I'm excited. Number two? Number two. Kill Bill the... Whole, whole bloody, bloody affair. affair. Yeah. Now, if I had to break it down, I was going to say my claws. If I had to break it down, yeah. I would, let's break it down. What's your favorite? I would probably say volume one. Just what? Be- yeah. Because the anime w- sequence is so ridiculous. The, in that. It, true, but I love the Lucy Lou. I love that fight scene. I love the crazy eighty eights. I love. It's fun. I think it kicks into high gear when we introduce her to Lou. Um, so at the beginning of that, again, if we go back to she's in a coma. And they're sexually abusing her, raping her and that. It's just so why? Yeah. Why do we have some of the stuff in these movies? No, that's it. Like, once again, it goes back to QT's The Violence. He can't control himself in some of this stuff. And and that's where, for that, it's it's tough. And there are scenes that in Kill Bill, it just stands out, I think will always stand out. It's just like immediate what I think of. But yeah, overall, though, if I could lump them both together... It's like putting Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth together. They're dynamite. Dynamite. Number Ooh. one is a movie that's been my favorite QT for a long time. And when I used to say this was my favorite movie, people would scoff. And they would say, that's a weird one. <laughs> and now, for I swear, I've met so many people 
that are like, this is, oh yeah, it's his best movie. It's called Jackie Brown. JB. It's a love story and it's amazing. It's a hangout movie. I, there's a lot more. No, Hollywood is a hangout movie. This is an actual, <laughs> he doesn't do love stories and this is a love story. And again, Robert Forster is incredible in that movie. Fantastic. Michael Keaton cracks me up in that a lot. He's, he's good. Just, I don't know. He's good. And we would have to look at his filmography. This might be a bold statement. I think this is De Niro's last great performance. He is incredible in Jackie Brown. Over Meet the Fockers? Just barely above <laughs> Meet, the, Meet the Fockers. What was the third one called? I can't even remember. Meet the Parents, Fockers, and Family, maybe? Meet the Family? Something with I can't, I can't even remember. Called? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Either way, he's incredible in this movie. Number one, easily. It's one of those movies that returning to, because I remember seeing this and I thought, you know, it's okay. But after watching it, it's just, it's, there's a lot, a lot of love, I think. And I think this, that movie is going to age very well for QT and it has, it, it already, already has. has. Remember, that came out. That's his third movie that came out, and that was underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Now people look at it um, the way that I do, which is it's a, it's a masterpiece. But he's done, I would say, several movies that I consider, I would, I would label as masterpiece. Yeah. It's, so apparently the third film in the Meet the, Meet the Family is uh, Little Fockers. It's just oh, called that's Little right. Fockers. That's why it wasn't coming to me. <laughs> Man, what a what a great movie. We need to do a fourth one. I like this first one. I feel like I like the third one, too. They they may bring it back. You never know. My favorite QT movie. I think I know what it is. What is it? Pulp Fiction. Nope. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. Bastards? Yep. Okay. It's a good one. It, from start, like the opening has to be one of my favorite openings of all time. It's so tense. I always forget Fassbender's in it too. They're just so much. So much. It's so Mike good. Myers. It's just like there. There are surprises in this movie that it just it never ceases. And I returned to it. And I remember when I first saw this movie. Once again, I went on a date to see this. Good grief! <laughs> yeah, so you're a dating machine for well for cute. Only I only do see it's it's a little bit like QT movies. I only do dates every like four years or so. The Ninth Date by Daniel Posey. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, there is something interesting. QT in his interview that I mentioned earlier with Robert Rodriguez, he said he could not have worked faster on Inglorious Bastards because he wanted to escape the one true flop he's had, which was Death Proof. I, you know, rewatching Death Proof, I like it a lot. I think the dialogue is really bad in that, though. Yeah, but uh, I was wasn't that intentional though. I guess Kurt Russell's incredible though. Stuntman Mike, who's Can better, I... Stuntman Mike or Randy? Mm. Well, Stuntman Mike, he's he's, yeah. he's awesome. What, can I just <laughs> throw out a random a random just uh, praise? What's that? Is I have hateful eight on my brain. I texted to you about this the other the other day that the final minute or two of hateful eight is Tarantino's best ending. Uh, yeah, that, I would say. When they read the uh, Lincoln letter, oh, it's so good. Did R- Lincoln write it? It almost the feels reveal. it almost feels like an ending that someone – it doesn't feel Tarantino, the ending mm-hmm. to that movie. And 
I don't know where he would have lifted that from or who he's paying tribute to, but it is his best ending. I think he just took that from Spielberg's Lincoln. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I always wait for Sam Jackson to, to be like, no, that's an actual Lincoln letter. I've, I've been lying that it's not, but... Uh, I, I love it. I it's Yeah, best. it's good. Who was your favorite in Hateful Eight, by the way? I Mine probably is, even though he's very despicable... They're all they're all really awful. They're they're pretty bad, yeah. My but my I would say my favorite, Goggins. Are we talking about just like entertainment value or like oh, I love that character? I think actor for acting wise. He's great. You know who I was really um once he came on screen, I was like, whoa, I'm like so into this now is Channing Tatum. I was going to say and then, and his freaking death is the most shocking. <laughs> and but it's wanna, the most funny. <laughs> it's, it's that movie too. I mentioned that it's like a horror film. I don't get queasy in movies a lot. This is one um, in a long time that watching it, I became phys- like nauseous because it was so disgusting. So just during the entire like nonstop bloodbath? From, yeah, from, um, yeah, the you know, when... When when uh, spoiler alert, um, Channing gets his head blown off and it sprays all over Jennifer Jason <laughs> Lee, and she has like chunks in her face and hair. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's uh, it sounds awful that I'm laughing, but it's one of those that he just goes so crazy far with all of the death scenes. But yeah, I uh, I, I there are a lot of surprises. But I return after seeing a hateful light. I'm like, huh? Well, that was you know. I liked it, but it was... I don't know how I felt about it. I will return to that every once in a while. I love the setting, too, that it's winter. Mm-hmm. And more. every movie needs to be set in winter. Oh, I ju- it just has such... I don't know. It looks so great. And, and some of the best moments is like they're playing a Christmas song over what we're watching. Sam Jackson's... Again, that's a movie that has like a rape scene that is so uncomfortable <laughs> and feels so yeah. unnecessary. Um, where where I feel like a lot of times QT needs someone to just say no, and he doesn't have that. I didn't really feel that in Hollywood. No, actually, that's that's why it felt so unlike QT for the most part. So I've been waiting for a long time to tell you about this hateful eight tidbit. Do you know Kurt Russell lied there as the dead body for the shooting of that on that cold floor? And they're like, are you sure you want to do this? He's like, yeah, because when she's trying to drag me around, I want her to feel like she's dragging me around. Not a dummy. And he's like, I want to be How there present. How long did he have to do that for? I'm not sure. But he he said, I wanted to be present. I wanted to be there. So in the scenes you see him, when he's, when he's not visible, he's not there, obviously. But when you see him on camera, that's not a body. That's Kurt Russell. And Tarantino said, that's why I love Kurt Russell because he comes from this old school acting and it's like, you know what? I'm not going to have anyone stand in for me. A dummy won't do it. I'm doing this. That's a good tidbit. I almost wonder if Hateful would be uh, more interesting if they if Jennifer Jason Lee was the bounty hunter and Kurt was the bad guy. Oh. And they flip it because then she's beating the crap out of him. I guess you could say, well, he could overpower her if they're handcuffed or something, but 
that would eliminate a lot of this beating up a female and making me uncomfortable. But that would also would have been interesting if she's constantly beating him and that's how he's not retaliating because she constantly is like beating him down. She's demasculated him. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting idea. Let's get that done. All right, Q2, remake it. Here we go. We got to work in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in our summer movie rankings. We're up to eight movies. Where does it rank on your list? Don't say just yet. But let's start at the bottom. I want. This is what I was going to tell you earlier. I said, I have something to tell you about my rankings. I, I was like, how many movies have we done? And you said eight. I wrote down six. I could not remember two of these movies. I had to look them up. Oh. So those movies <laughs> fell down. Number eight, Men in Black International. Of course. Number seven, this is one I forgot, Child's Play. Oh. Number six, another one I forgot, Brightburn. Mm. Uh, number five, Ma. Number four, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number three, Midsummer. This Whoa. is what I'm struggling. When Midsummer was number three last time or number two? Yeah, it was number two. So the final two movies I have are Avengers Endgame and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really struggled what should be one and what should be two. Because one's fun, one's a lot of fun. <laughs> Hollywood's number one for you, isn't it? What I wrote down is Hollywood at number two. Whoa. But after talking about it, you feel like switching it. I feel like switching it. I even have a little arrow pointing it back up. <laughs> um, if I had to lock it in, I think I would put Once Upon a Time on, at Hollywood at number two and, and keep Avengers at, at number one. You think anything will top Endgame? I mean, on, this this changes every time we do it. I think Hollywood will be number one next time. I always, I don't know, man. This has been really hard. Yeah, this, these top two are really hard. I had a difficult time with my top. Yeah, I'd say top three overall. Number eight's Mibby, of course. Number seven, Ma. I kind of hope we see something worse than Mibby. Yeah, if I'm I being do too. Honest. I really do. So eight, maybe seven, Ma, six, Child's Play. Ma's so low. Yeah, I put it. I put it pretty low. She's so low in the movie and very so low on your list. I may also. I may bump down Child's Play too below Ma. Totally forgot we saw that. Yeah. Uh, five, Brightburn. Four, Spidey. Three. This is where things get very interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot, and there's. Kind of comments I have to make after this. I'm going to go rapid fire so we can kind of shock it all at once. Number three, Endgame. Two, Hollywood. One, Midsummer. I, I don't get that. Here's the replay value on Midsummer. Do you think is higher than for now? I mean, my top, the top three are top three. They're good. For now. And here's the reason. Because it's a horror film. I dig horror and the way that it was done. I had a ton of fun more fun with Hollywood and more fun with Endgame than I did with Midsummer, But the top two, obviously Midsummer and Hollywood, they're just, I love that there is, I don't know, I, I just, both of them felt like a breath of fresh air. And Endgame did two in its own way, and I love it. But I don't, like, the, the top three, I love these movies. I really do. That's, that's all I can really say about it for now. I do think that Hollywood will continue to rise like before we record it. It's been on my mind more and more. It's going to rise like Bruce Wayne in Dark Knight Rises. 
and just like Bruce Lee from Enter the Dragon. What's next for us? I don't know. What are we doing? We're doing pickums for August. Oh yeah, we're doing some pickums, which it's- which features an album that is my most anticipated of the year. I said that with uh, Iron and Wine and Calexico. <laughs> I was going to say, what's going on? Is this like the but sequel? But on, on that podcast, I did say, I know I'm, I'm just jumping ahead here. And there's something coming out next month that I'm, I literally would die for. Okay. You're, <laughs> it's going to be like chained to John Ruth's hand. And you just will be dragged along the uh, snowy blizzard of wherever they were. Love Kurt Russell's jacket in that movie, by the way. Looks uh, like a giant bear. And his stash. He, he's got great facial hair. Love his hair. I uh, love it when he smashed that priceless guitar. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Had no idea that he was doing that. But yeah, pickums for August. I've got one pick, but it's very loosely based. So I can... I, I really don't know what I'm going to be doing, but that's coming out next. I'm locked and loaded. I got a movie. I got an album, and I got a TV show. I'm hitting everything. I don't know what I'm hitting at all. So it will be a surprise. I thought it was going to be tough, and I, I actually had to keep stuff off for August. September is going to be amazing. You know, with this Pickums, we like to hear from you listeners out there. So let us know what you're looking forward to the most in August, and we will read those on the next podcast. Oh, I also need to issue an apology. Oh, yeah. Meant to do this off the top of the show, and I, I, I'm now apologizing for the second time. This is a delayed apology, but nonetheless, it's an apology. It's an apology, and it's for actress Millie Bobby Brown. On the last um, podcast, I <laughs> called you Bobby Millie Brown. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I got confused. And, you know, just the, by it, the off chance that you're listening... I don't want you to be mad at me. I, I'm really sorry. And I enjoyed your work in Stranger Things. And I cannot wait to see Godzilla King of the Monsters finally. And again, I'm very sorry. Millie Bobby Brown. MBB. Baby, come back. I don't think he, she's like 13. I don't think you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was wanting to drop in a needle drop Millie, around back. that time. And that's it. Film fans, thanks for listening to us. Don't forget that you can rate us and subscribe so that you know when a new episode of Quality Check drops into your podcast player. Hit us up on Twitter. Just tweet us at Quality Check Pod, Insta at Quality Check Podcast, or send us an email to QualityCheckPodcast at gmail.com. Whether or not you're being chauffeured by Cliff Booth, Quality Check is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find more of your favorite podcasts at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Hey, you're Rick Dalton. Don't you forget it.